Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Framer, Scopel on the show as always. And it's Monday, which means typically it's our recap podcast. And we're going to recap the performances of both the men and the women's basketball programs over the weekend. The men were on the road against the Mountain Schools, Colorado Thursday, Utah Saturday. The women were also on the road against the Bay Area Schools, a Friday afternoon game against Stanford, the number one team in the country, followed up on Sunday with a road game at California. Both the men and the women split this game, uh, this these road trips. And let's start here first with the men, Eric. Um, the Ducks go to Colorado, a place that they have never won before, and they still have never won before. Uh, at, at Colorado, they lose 79-72, um, a performance that early on, they were back and forth in the first half. They trailed just by two points, and then a disastrous three or so minutes in the first, uh, you know, in the first three or four minutes of the second half led to, uh, led to the Colorado being able to pull away from, from Oregon and that one to win 79-72, uh, really disappointing performance in that second half by Oregon. Chris Duarte, 27 points, four steals, six rebounds in the loss. And then on Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday, they go to Utah and, a disastrous first half. They are down by 10 points and then they get a talking to from Dana Altman and like we would all expect, and they come out guns blazing in the second and win 46 to 30 in that second half to win the game 79, 73 to complete a 10 point comeback. And Duarte, once again, impressive 25 points, six steals, three rebounds. Um, you have to be happy uh, to get a road split, right? Like that's the goal. Like good teams, teams that that win championships, teams that make runs in the NCAA tournament, they don't get swept. They they find ways to split on the road, and and the elite teams win on the road, and and they get sweeps. They get a, they get one or two sweeps a year on the road. And Oregon, they got that important road split. I was going to say this has kind of become the trend when they head to the mountain schools is they lose to Colorado and they beat Utah. I think this is like what five straight trips. That's been the case. Maybe six. Yes. Um, I think what, what is going on in Boulder? Like, and, and this was the game and we talked about it going in of like, if there's ever a time to beat Colorado, this was it. Uh, this was it at course events. This is it. Cause they didn't have fans. And yet it felt very like reminiscent of past games there where Oregon, plays really pretty competitive for the majority of it. And then just kind of has a couple slip ups and can't overcome it. And, you know, maybe a battle and we'll talk about this. I want to, this is something I do want to talk about in a little bit is just Chris Duarte seems to me to be like the, the favorite front runner for Pac-12 player of the yes. year. Um, maybe his biggest rival in this game is McKinley Wright for Colorado, who had a, had a really, really strong game himself in the, in the game at the Ducks, 21 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. Um, but I, I just want to like, let's start with Colorado. And kind of like, did we learn things in terms of like, what, what did you learn from that game? Like what, and I, I, I partly, and partly asked that because you look at the box score and it, it was kind of just two guys offensively who could really get it going. Yeah. And I think that's a little disconcerting, but then the, the following game, what was really impressive is to come back and win in a game where Eugene Amarui gets hurt and doesn't score. So like, I feel like it was kind of a, a strange weekend from that perspective of like the Colorado game. It feels like, well, I got you got to get more than two players to win games. And then 
the next game they go out and they certainly get that. I feel like the Colorado game was the first game where we truly saw the lack of Will Richardson being available hurt them. Like they were able to overcome that in every other game before this point. And then they played an elite point guard and, and McKinley, Wright, And the style that Colorado plays and on both sides of the basketball court and it hurt Oregon. They didn't really have an answer. I mean, Aaron Estrada had six points, two turnovers, just one assist. He shot three of seven from the field and uh, excuse me, Amari Hardy. And then Aaron Estrada had zero points, four fouls, one assist. He was 0 for one up from the field. They got basically nothing at the point guard position. Um, and yep. You, you you look at this, and I think Will Richardson's probably worth against an elite, an elite team, probably seven points. And he's probably worth negative two points against that team. You know, so that's a net of nine points. And Oregon loses this game by seven. You know, I, I look at this and think, you know, R- Will Richardson's impact probably is the difference in this game. Um, and, and you don't blame Will at all. And, and Hardy's trying his best to play out of position and Estrada is getting up to speed. But you look at this and, and you see that, you know, this is the first time that Oregon did not, not being at full strength cost them a game. And that's no one's fault. It's just the reality. And, and when these two teams play again later in the year, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon's victorious. Um, Eugene Amarui, struggled in the mountain schools. He was eight of 15 uh, from the field for 18 points against Colorado, but you could visibly see him like he was breathing really hard. His, his, some of his shots were really short. And then against Utah, he didn't finish the game. I mean, he complained of lightheadedness, um, dizziness. Um, Dana Altman said it wasn't COVID. They, They tested him multiple times. He came back negative. He didn't show symptoms of COVID. It was, he felt like Altman said he thought it dealt with the altitude, that Amarui was having a hard time with the altitude. And I think if you go back and watch both games again, you'll see a lot of guys really breathing hard um, and, and really trying to acclimate themselves to the altitude. Um, and Altman was asked post-game of, of the Colorado game if, if – they did anything different, you know, going into this game. And he said what they've done and what they've always done. And um, that was showing up the day before. And maybe, maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe Oregon, for whatever reason, maybe if they play a Thursday night game, maybe you have to get there Tuesday night so that you have a Wednesday practice and get used to the acclimation of playing that high in Boulder. I, I don't know, but yeah. nonetheless, you walk out of that game and, and Oregon Oregon can't beat good teams if they only get good games from two of their big four guys. That's Amarui, Duarte, Figueroa, uh, and Eric Williams. Eric Williams had three points, was one of nine from the field, really struggled with his shot. Uh, Figueroa had 10 points, but some of that came very late in the game. Um, you know, it, it was four of seven from the, from the field. He had three turnovers, no assists. Um, so you basically looked at this and said, okay, it was basically Eugene Amarui, Chris Duarte, and then he had some late action from Figueroa. You had Chandler Lawson give you a little bit. He had eight points uh, in the loss, but you, you need more from your big group. And 
you know, I, I think the point guard position was, you know, Oregon couldn't d- defend McKinley right. And on the offensive end, they couldn't get past McKinley right. And that's, you know, unfortunately to the point guard spot, I think. As somebody who has had issues with altitude, I feel for Eugene um, because I, when Oregon played its football road game down in Salt Lake a couple of years ago, I went and tried to do some like hiking around there and uh, almost passed out. And I like, had to sit down for a while and just turn around because it's, it's not easy if you're not used to it. So I can, I can relate to that. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of a weird – it's a very strange sensation, I'll say. And this is just a, a non-athlete talking about athletic stuff but can relate to at least the, the altitude part of like it, – it'll throw you off for sure and um, scary. And the fact that Oregon can get out of this weekend with a split in a game, especially that second game with Amarui basically being not only a non-factor but kind of like a net negative, like that's, that's, that says a lot. And I, I, I think – the point I wanted to get to here was, and I know there's a lot of games left in this season, right? Like the Ducks have now played 11 games. They've got about, what, a little over halfway through Pac-12 play. Or, no, at, 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 no, not even there at the Pac-12 point, but like over, overall in the season about halfway. Does it feel like Chris Duarte is like kind of the odds on favorite right now for Pac-12 player of the year? Yes, and, without a doubt. And like, I was going to ask like, is, is McKinley right? His biggest competition, or like who else is even in the conversation? Cause you look at this. Last week he was Pacto Player of the Week. This week, obviously, we he was up for the award again. And I've got to think he's got a decent shot at. I mean, he averaged twenty six points per game. He shot well over fifty percent from the field. He shot well over fifty percent from three point range. He averaged four and a half steals per game. You know, uh, the assist numbers aren't fantastic, but he had to shoot it fifteen times a game. So it's like he, he only, by the way, playing at the altitude, he only sat three minutes all weekend. Yeah. I, I mean, like he has quickly not only become Oregon's clear-cut best player after Amarui was kind of that early on in the season, at least for the first handful of games, to, like, he's probably the best player in the conference. And I just kind of wonder, like, who's even standing in his way right now? I mean, like like you said, you think it's him by a mile, but, like, is it, like does he even really have competition? Or, or is this a thing where if he can just kind of maintain this, this play, it's going to be his without question? I think there's a couple other guys that are going to be challengers in the mix. McKinley Wright is certainly one of those guys. Um, he's in the top group for points, top 10 for points, top 10, top three for assists. Um, he's a good, good player on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Oscar Da Silva from Stanford, he leads the conference in points, uh, 19.8 points per game. He's also fifth in rebounding at 7.4. Um, so that's, that's another guy that's, you know, playing at a very high level. The freshman Isaiah Mobley, um, or Evan Mobley, excuse me, from from USC. Uh, this is someone that's going to probably clean up almost every week the freshman of the week honors. Uh, Mobley is second in rebounds in the conference, and then he's also in the top 10 uh, in points. Um, but Duarte's numbers are pretty significant. He's second in the conference in points per game at 18.4. He's first in the conference in steals at 2.5. So he's you know, he's he's not blocking a ton of shots. Evan Mobley's also first in in the conference in blocks per game. Um, and then you look at his field goal percentage for for Chris Duarte, and he's ninth in the conference. And he's just one of three guards that makes that list uh, in, in the top ten. Typically, your field goal percentage leaders are all big guys because they're not shooting very far from from the rim, like Oscar De Silva, sure. uh, Andre Kelly, Evan Mobley. Uh, Utah has a couple big guys that are in that mix and Jordan Brown from Arizona. Um, Duarte's there uh, from a three point 
field goal percentage. Crystal Duarte is sixth in the conference, and you know his attempts per game are significantly higher than everybody else's above him. I mean, Drew Drew Peterson of USC leads the conference in percentage. He attempts two two threes a game. Uh, Washington State has a player that shoots two threes a game, and he's second in the conference. Uh, Chris Duarte shoots six a game and is making almost 50% of those. Whew. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And you just look at what Duarte has done the last three or four or five games. I mean, 21 points, two steals, three blocks uh, against Portland. He had 19 points against Cal which is as low the last five games, 23 against Stanford. He had four steals in that one. He shot 44% on threes, uh, 50% on threes against Colorado with 27 points. He shot 60% on threes against Utah with 25 and six steals. Chris Duarte has an opportunity to be a Pac-12 player of the year, Pac-12 defensive player of the year. And potentially, you know, the way he's playing right now, I think He's probably not a lock, but he's in the discussion probably for All-American too. I, I was just going to say, you run through all that stuff, and it seems kind of like he should be at least in the conversation for like a second-team All-American spot or something like that. And I know the hard part here is the uneven schedules everything. It's kind of hard to compare, but like I, I go like, boy, you run through it all, and it's just like he's putting together, and he's such an all-around player um, and is, is seemingly improving every week. I mean, gosh – I remember when Oregon landed him. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of expectations of him being a, a big contributor, but I, I don't know if I had thought, maybe, Matt, Matt, you might disagree. I don't know if I ever thought he was going to be an All-American caliber player. I know he was a junior college national player of the year. I know he was that kind of kid coming in from a junior college level. You don't always expect that to translate so so seamlessly. And, gosh, you think back to last year and the fact that he got hurt, um, and obviously that's a season where they still win the conference, but, man, um, having potentially have had two consecutive Pac-12 players of the year on the on the roster, and, and having two consecutive Pac-12 player of the year winners, um, I can't. I don't think that's ever happened with Oregon that they've won back to back. They've uh, not. Because I know Joseph Young won it, and then there's a gap year, I believe, between that and Dylan Brooks, and then of course a couple years between Brooks and Pritchard. And before Joseph Young, it was a very short list of guys who had won it. So. Um, Pretty, pretty exciting stuff there. Let's look at the, the, the Pac-12 standings here, and then we'll look ahead to the upcoming weekend for, for the men uh, before we take a break and look, start talking about the, the women's team and their weekend. Uh, Oregon now one of three teams with one loss in Pac-12 play, along with Stanford, whose one loss came to Oregon last week, yep. and USC. And then the lone team undefeated right now is UCLA. And I want to make just a note from a scheduling perspective. They have rescheduled that game. And it's sooner than we kind of had thought. It's about a week from today, January 19th, the Bruins will come back to Eugene. That, obviously, that previous game um, was postponed after an official um, tested positive. Ducks will play four straight home games in a nine-day span uh, coming up here. And, and that game, depending upon what happens this weekend, from both Oregon and the Bruins' perspective, could be the two top teams in the conference facing off in Eugene for an, earlier, you know, an early season tilt. That could be pretty significant later on in the season. Um, it still feels like, even with the loss to Colorado, to me at least, that Oregon controls not only its own destiny, but I would say still feels like the favorite to win the conference. Do you disagree with that, Matt? I mean, because I've even said it before, kind of jokingly, but in reality, just because of the bizarre nature of this Boulder road trip and the fact that Oregon never wins there, that 
Oregon was probably was probably not gonna not gonna beat the Buffs. Right. Like, did, did anything from like a conference championship perspective change from your mind? Because you look at the standings right now, and I think Oregon's still. I know it's we're five, they're five games in. There's a lot, a lot, a lot left this season, but it it certainly feels like they're right in the, the heart of it. And, and if anything, they take care of business with this four game home stretch and look up and could be sitting really pretty. Yeah, there's 20 games this year in the conference schedule. And like you said, they play UCLA next week. This four-game stretch here, they play Arizona State Thursday, Arizona Saturday, UCLA Tuesday, and then Oregon State on Saturday of next week. Um, this four-game stretch really and, – and really, honestly, Eric, like you probably push it out to six because after Oregon plays – against Oregon State at home on the 23rd. They then go to UCLA, and they go to USC. So I'm going to say the next six games will really decide, I think, Oregon's chances of winning the Pac-12 Conference regular season championship for a second straight year. If if you go three and three, you're probably going to put yourself in a tough spot um, where it's possible – and it's more than it's more than an outside chance, but you're going to need some help here. Um, if you go four and two, kind of right around where you know typically, hey, you know what, you need to to win the games against the two you know the two teams you lost, um, and you can't suffer another loss to a top team, but you've got some wiggle room, uh, and and it's it's still out there. You go five and one or six and zero, oh, and now all of a sudden you put yourself in a position where you could have really separated yourself from the pack. Um, you look at the top teams in the conference. Oregon has already played Stanford, like you said. They are currently third in the conference. They're one game back. We're going to hold the tiebreaker there. USC is fourth in the conference. Uh, UCLA is first. They have not lost a game. That Tuesday afternoon game in, in Matt Nat Arena is going to be huge. And then a week later, uh, a road game at UCLA will be huge. I mean, Oregon wins both those games, and that's – tough sledding, but if Oregon can win both of those games, you put yourself up in a situation where you're probably one game up on UCLA and you've beaten them twice. So, so you ultimately hold the tiebreaker. You've got to hold serve at home for, if you're Oregon, you've got to go four and at home. I think if you want to win the league, you need to win all four of these games. Um, that's going to be very important. It, holding serve at home. Don't lose at home. And it's going to be tough, tough to do because LJ Figueroa turned his ankle against Utah, did not return in that game. Dana Altman said the first 24 hours would, would tell them a lot. And, you know, I, I think he's probably going to be a game time decision uh, un, unless he has some kind of a miracle recovery plan. Um, I mean, he, he had to be helped off the court when the game was over. Um, and then you also, you know, Eugene Amarui, Dana Altman said it was you know, lightheadedness. You, you wonder, does that linger at all? Now that he's in Eugene, I don't know. I don't probably not, but nonetheless, you have to talk about it. And then Will Richardson's also not back yet. And when does he get back? So it's going to be tough sledding in Oregon. You know, they're dealing with injuries. They have a very short bench, um, but I think they have the league's best player. He, they don't have the league's best pro player, you know, pro potential. Chris Duarte's pro potential is not the same as others in the league, but today, this year, this month, they have the best player in the conference right now, in my eyes, and Chris Duarte. So you're going to have a chance. And if you go four and two, five and one, 
you put yourself in a position where you're probably the favorites to, to win the league. The two teams coming to Matthew United Arena this weekend are both, I would say, what do you say, kind of slumping, right? I mean, I look at this and I go, <laughs> Arizona State has not won a game since December 13th, and that was a one-point win over Grand Canyon. They had three games postponed due to COVID. They lost to UTEP. They came out and then were swept by um, the L.A. schools. And then you look at UCLA, also swept by the L.A. schools, barely got by Washington State. Also, They did hammer Washington, but everybody's doing that. right. And just on a side, like, boy, Mike Hopkins, his trajectory from the last yeah. two years of like – Unacceptable. He, like, he, oh, man, this guy is bringing Jim Beheim's like, incredible defensive, you know, zone defense, that press, pressure defense to the Pac-12. It's going to be unstoppable. They're going to be unbelievable to – are they going to get finished last in the Pac-12 two consecutive years? Like, does he still have a job after the year? Um, maybe not. Um, but that's just a brief aside there of, like, everybody – and actually, Oregon, that game was pretty close up in Seattle, but Arizona did take care of um, Washington by, what, 27 points a couple weeks ago. But I, I look at this and go, these are – typically you look at Arizona, Arizona State, and it feels like that could be the toughest weekend, whether it be on the, you know, at home or on the road. Is it, is it fair to say that's – I mean, I'm just looking at the results here. I haven't watched as much of the men's teams this year as the women's because we kind of switch beats, as those listening know. Is that a fair assessment that Arizona State and Arizona are a little down this year or – is this a thing where, because you look at the results here, they lost, Arizona State loses to UCLA in overtime. It was a pretty close game against USC. Um, Arizona lost to Washington State in, or sorry, they beat Washington State in double overtime, but they, pretty close games also against USC and UCLA. Do, do, do you feel like the, the, the Wildcats and the Sun Devils are going to be up for this weekend? Or, or is this a weekend where you think Oregon could, in theory, not only create some separation over those schools in the standings, but, but maybe win fairly handily? I think in a, <clears throat> in a normal year, excuse me, Arizona State is probably going to be very difficult for Oregon to play against. But they have a lot of players right now that are currently unavailable to play. Remy Martin missed the last couple games uh, due to COVID-19 related protocols after attending his grandfather's funeral. Um, forward Jalen Graham, he has mono. Uh, Tayshawn Cherry is also out for COVID related protocols and Jalen house is also out for Jalen, you know, for COVID related protocols. Those four players are, I think probably ASU's in their top six. I mean, Remy Martin is their best player. Um, Jalen house is one of their top guys off the bench. Tayshawn Cherry is a starter. Um, Jalen Graham, I believe is a starter as well. So they're, they're playing severely limited guys right now. They don't have, a full makeup of, of their roster right now. So I look at this and think this is a team that Oregon should come in. And if their roster is the same as it was on Saturday, where they didn't have those four guys available to play, um, Oregon should win this game in a, a big fashion. Cause you look at it and Lonzo Verge leads the team in points. Remy Martin, he, he's playing right now. Remy Martin is a, a conference player of the year candidate but he can't play right now because he's because he's out with with COVID-19 protocols. Uh, he averages 17 points a game. Josh Christopher is a freshman, 16 points. And then Marcus Bagley is a freshman at 12. But Jalen Graham's a starter. Tayshaun Cherry is a starter. Um, House is one of their top guys off the bench. And it's like all of a sudden a team that ASU goes really deep has no depth because of this. Arizona 
um, it is a team where I think they're probably they're a tournament team in a normal year. This year they're not because they're self-imposed ban. Um, but they're they're big. You know, they've got a lot of guys that are 6'11", 6'8", 6'9". I don't necessarily think their guards are elite. James Akinjo is a pretty good player, transferred from Georgetown. Oregon had interest in him. Um, but I don't look at Jermall Baker and think this is a guy that's you know scaring you. Terrell Brown is not a guy that's going to scare you. Dalen Terry is not a guy that's going to scare you. Um, Tobilis is a, is a guard, or Marthun is a guard. Two guys that, that are European players that are – I don't necessarily think they scare you. Arizona Arizona will challenge Oregon. It wouldn't surprise me if, if, if Oregon lost to Arizona. But if these two teams played ten times, Oregon probably wins six or seven of those times. So they, they should win both these games uh, this weekend. The Arizona State one is the one that worries me the most just because they have a bunch of little guards that are really athletic, really good shooters. And I wonder, can does Oregon have the quickness, the lateral quickness to stay in front of them um, to, to play there and, and, and to really hammer home those guys? I think it's going to be a really fascinating weekend for, for Oregon. And if they take care of business, like we said earlier, and then can, can we, if they, if they just sweep these four home games, and I know that's going to be easier said than done. I really think they put themselves in a fantastic spot, especially with Richardson. And I, before we transition to the moment, do, do we know if Will Richardson's like, what's have we, do we have any update on his status? Like, is it, is it possibly plays against the Arizona schools? I know at one point that was a, a, um, a weekend that was kind of targeted for a possible return or maybe the Oregon state game. Um, is it possible we see him in uniform at all during this four game home streak or, or, or stretch? Or do we think it's more likely we see him sometime in February or even um, on the road for the LA schools later this month? Um, I mean, the, te- the the broadcast on Saturday was saying that, that uh, it was a deal where he was two or three more weeks out and, I, I get that, and that's probably somewhere truthful, but those guys were also just completely wrong on a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of take that with a grain of salt. Altman did say the six weeks was kind of the best-case scenario, and they were probably looking at something a little bit longer than that. I, I don't think he plays this week. Okay. He, he doesn't have his brace off yet. Um, maybe an opportunity that he plays against Oregon State or – probably um, something where closer to where they go down to, to the LA schools. Unfortunately, it's going to look like he's going to miss probably half the, half the year. And that's just really crappy situation. But I look at this and, and, and think if, if you can get him going, if you can survive, I mean, you want to win the league. You, that, that's your goal every year, win the league. But from an Oregon perspective of big picture type viewpoint here, Make sure you have a good seed in the NCAA tournament and make sure that Will Richardson has gotten himself into a rhythm, gotten himself into a groove by the end of the season so that come the NCAA, come the Pac-12 tournament, you can win that and, and ascend at full strength going into the, into the NCAA tournament and you be at full strength in the NCAA tournament and have a good seed so you're not having to play like a, you know, that way you're not like a seven seed or um, a, a six seed or a, a, a nine seed or an eight seed. So you have to play one of these top three seeds in the second round. And that makes it very difficult for you to advance to get to that sweet 16. It's crazy how far like 
basketball has come from the men where we're sitting here saying like, you know, pr- prior Dana Altman, we'd be freaking out if Oregon got a six seed or if Oregon got a seven seed or an eight seed, uh, it would be viewed as a good year. And now it's, it's kind of like, it's a good year, but it should have been better. And you're, you're sitting here saying get a five or a better, you know, lock up and and you put yourself in a position where you can can make a serious run and that's what Oregon's goal is is win the league if you can the regular season title that you always want to do that but more importantly make sure you're healthy and ascending at the right time at the end of the year and that's I think the goal for, for Oregon right now with Will Richardson is don't rush it because you don't want him to come back too soon and get hurt and then it derails the rest of his development the rest of the year. And the reality is under Dana Altman, that end of season ascension is basically every single season except for what was that, 2017-18, right after the uh, Final Four season. Yep. They, every year they, they seem to get it going late. And even that season they were a tough out, at least in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you don't bet against this team. And the fact that they're already playing as well as they are without, gosh, their second or third best player, uh, that certainly says a lot. Let's, let's shift gears now to the women's side of the docket and we knew going in number one team in the country, they've never won a game against the number one team in the country. Right. Um, This was going to be a tough test. This was also going to be a very good, you know, test to see how far this team is. Um, They went into Stanford and for the first quarter, they were probably the better team. Second quarter, probably still Uh, you could argue they were playing, you know, toe to toe with Stanford, but then in that third quarter, um, it feels like things maybe got a little bit away from them. Um, what was the difference in that game? And I guess, what did we learn from that performance against Stanford? I think just big picture first off, it's that they can compete with everybody. And we also have to acknowledge with Stanford, there were three players out with COVID-19 related issues. Um, one of them being a starter. It's kind of funny. Um, Lexi Hall or Hole, sorry. Typically a starter for Stanford was replaced in the starting lineup by her twin sister, Lacey Hole. It's kind of funny that one of them would be out with COVID and the other one wasn't, was available to replace her in the starting lineup. But um, Stanford wasn't at full strength here, but I, I, I and neither is Oregon, right? Cause Sedona Prince is still MIA. You know, that's, that's, I think an underlying kind of storyline here, but for the second straight game against a really talented team, not only did this team kind of hang around, but they gave them chance, self a chance to win. And, this game really came down to the third quarter. Um, Oregon outscored Stanford by six in the first. They, they led by one at halftime. The fourth quarter, Oregon held Stanford just to 10 points and two made field goals. Um, you know, and, and really, and we'll talk about this, I think this is just a, another thing we can talk about in a bit, but late game execution offensively continues to be kind of problematic in these big games. Um, at least it has been in both the loss to UCLA and Stanford, they, they obviously performed pretty well against Washington state down the stretch and got that win. But um, the third quarter was where this game was determined. Oregon again, led at halftime, but then was outscored 28 to 14 in the third quarter, just an absolute disaster of a third quarter. And Aaron Boley picks up some fouls quickly. I didn't think either of them were, were particularly good calls, but as Kelly Graves said, that's not what costs him the game. And, and Stanford really capitalized on that. Oregon just didn't have anything offensively in that quarter, really struggled to score, struggled to get good looks, turned it over a little too frequently. And Stanford, which again, number one team in the country for a reason, really talented roster. Um, I think right now my money would be probably on Haley Jones or Michaela Onionware for Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, in this conference right now. And they've obviously faced Onion Wary last week. She scored 33. Jones had 18 and six in this one. 
um, for Stanford, you know, this is a, these are two, those are two players who are going to be top two or three WNBA draft picks. And, and both of them gave Oregon fits. And I think it's kind of telling the body type, the sort of size and athleticism, both those players share both being like six, one to six, three right. long lean. Oregon has a tough time defending those types of athletes that can get to the rim. I mean, Jones didn't shoot a single three pointer and scores 18 points. Wow. Um, you know, she got almost everything at the rim and onion where was very similar the week before. And I think that to me is kind of the thing that stands out. And the good thing for Oregon is there just frankly, aren't many players like that. I mean, those are the only two players in the whole conference that really provide those sort of issues from my perspective. Um, you know, Arizona, Oregon places faces Arizona this weekend. Their best player is like a five, nine guard and area McDonald. It's a very different matchup for Oregon. I don't know. I think, I think they're better suited to, fa- to defend a player like that than they are to defend a player like Onion Wary or Jones, who are typically being guarded either by a, a smaller guard or by someone like Aaron Boley, who's similar size height wise, but not quite as quick where, you know, I struggled to kind of stay in front. So um, I think to me, that's a trend I'm noticing with this team is they kind of struggle to, to guard these long wings like these. And I, you know, if you're, if, if you're, don't, not for super familiar with women's basketball and you want to draw like a male comp- pers- you know, comparison. I look at like a 6'1 to 6'2 women's player as being like a 6'7, 6'8 small forward or something on the men's side. Like think of something like that, that kind of body type, that kind of length. Those are the players Oregon just doesn't really fit right now to defend very well. And I think that kind of, to me, was pretty clear in both those games. And, you know, um, the thing that was to me really impressive in both the UCLA and the Stanford games, though, was just the way they fought back. And Oregon goes down 17 points early in the fourth quarter and pushes all the way back, gets down to gets down to only by five points with about a, a minute and a half to play, two minutes to play. And Niara Sabali steals an inbounds pass, starts dribbling up the court, is called for a travel. And it was the right call. Sure. She, she, her back foot slid as she was kind of trying to come to a stop and get the ball to the guard. And I just look at that possession and go, if she doesn't turn it over there and Oregon gets a bucket, suddenly it's a one score game with a little bit, you know, not much time left. And instead of fouling, they can play defense and Stanford had no offense in that fourth quarter. Again, they were two for 12 from the field. Most of their points came at the free throw line because Oregon had to foul late. I just think if, if Oregon could have got a basket there and put some pressure on Stanford and not been in a position where they had to foul, maybe this game goes slightly differently. So um, again, the good news is you, you look at these two games and you like Oregon was not completely outmatched. They didn't get blown out. I mean, Arizona lost to Stanford by like 27 points. You know, and Oregon comes out and is really close in this game. This is the closest game Stanford's played all year. It's the first time all year, year Stanford had trailed at half. So some positives from that perspective of like they fought. This is a young team. They still play 10 players, 11 players, significant minutes. And even though the result didn't go their way, I think you come out going, well, hey, they weren't clearly overmatched. And even when they both games against Stanford and UCLA, when they kind of took that, they took those big kind of gut punches and got down double digits both times they cut it back you know and, and at least gave themselves a chance to compete at the end of the game and both times obviously they couldn't finish and I think that's the other thing is execution at the end of games continues to not be very good the Ducks continue to kind of maybe lack that and this is one of the issues we talked about before of like when you've got so many good players who's going to be that kind of cutthroat get their get them the ball when the game's on the line and get a bucket player and I don't think Oregon knows who that is now and I think that sort of has cost them a little bit. There needs to be someone who steps up and says, hey, it takes ownership and says, hey, this is my team right now. The game's online. I can go get us a bucket. Oregon has a lot of players capable of doing that. I just don't know if, there's, if it's clear who, in a pinch, like they are in these games, 
is going to be that player. And I think that was something that really is also evident is like, I guess a couple of takeaways are they're capable of playing with the big dogs. They kind of lack that defensive player to guard some of these elite wing players in the Pac-12. And when the game gets when the game gets close at the end, I just don't know who's taking the big shot and what the confidence level is them hitting it because they just haven't done it now two games in a row. What did you think of Tahina Pow Pow in her weekend? I mean, against Stanford, she had 12 points. She had four turnovers, but she did have two steals. Just one assist, though, but she shot the ball well, five of nine from the field, two of three on threes. Um, against California, she was significantly better. And the Bears, obviously, the talent drop is, is significant there. It's bad. She had 13 points. She was five of eight from the floor, seven assists, just one turnover. Could she become that player you're talking about with the killer instinct? Could could this be a deal where she needs to be comfortable with the, the fact that, hey, I know you're a freshman, but you need to be that go-to player for us? I think it was really telling in the UCLA game that the last possession they had, Kelly Graves drew up a play and it was just let Tiana Pow Pow, you know, handle the ball and try to get to the room, make something happen. And either she's going to score or find an open shooter. And that was the, that was basically the offensive set. Um, that says a lot with the true freshman, the confidence that he has in her to make those plays, to make the right decision to potentially win a game. Um, obviously didn't come through in that game and it didn't really have chances against Stanford because it never got quite close enough for she had like a game winning shot or a game tying shot. But I think honestly, like it feels the more and more the season goes on that she probably is the player. Now, part of this is going to kind of come down to can Aaron Bowley stay on the court at the end of games defensively? Can she stay out of foul trouble? I mean, cause that's something that is notable in both those games is she, they could not have Aaron Bowley on the court against UCLA cause she couldn't guard on January and they could not have her on the court for most of the fourth quarter a lot of that second half because of foul trouble. And if she can't stay on the court, like I think ultimately that's probably the player you want out there to, to take those big shots. But is she going to be able to be good enough on the other end to do it? And with Pow Pow, I, I, the upside's there. And I posted on, uh, on Twitter after the Stanford game on, on Sunday morning, or maybe it was Saturday, just the comparison between Pow Pow and Sabrina Inescu through eight conference games. And they're fairly comparable. I mean, Inescu averaged a little bit more points, definitely more assists, but Pow Pow, less turnovers, much better field goal and three-point shooting percentages. Um, and again, I'm not saying that she's going to be the player Sabrina Inescu was because that's a very unfair expectation. But like she, in her own right, is a very, very good, very, very good freshman point guard and playing at a very high level very early on in her career. And like she had the first two games, she didn't score in double figures. But since then, she's in, you know, she scored in double figures in every conference game aside from the Washington State game when she had four. Um, very, you know, I think... The, the teams that give her some difficulty is, is just that, that guard that's going to hound you. And that's what we saw from Stanford. Um, I think that, that kind of, for, you know, she, she was turned it over four times. That's pretty clear that she had a hard time with Russell Wilson's younger sister, Anna Wilson. Um, but I, I think the, the great thing here is she's getting these live reps on the fly in meaningful games early enough in the season that they aren't going to cost you. Right. And the hope is like, Hey, by the time you get into the stretch run of Pac-12 play, when Oregon plays Stanford again on February 15th, and then when they play in the Pac-12 tournament and then the NCAA tournament, that she's had enough of these opportunities now to feel comfortable and confident to go out there and make these plays with the game on the line and that you get into the NCAA tournament. And the upside here, like, I think that's the thing I, I take away from this is like, I just think this team can compete with anybody on any given night. I, I'm not expecting they win a national championship, probably don't make a final four, 
I think they're going to make some noise in March. And, and the fact that they're doing this without Sedona Prince, who everybody talked about, especially Kelly Graves. like I was just going to ask, like, what's the status with her right now? I think that's just a, a real lack of, uh, of knowledge from Kelly Graves. And at least if, if he knows, he's not really being all that forthcoming. He said, honestly, I don't know after the Stanford game. Um, you know, I think this is a deal where, Matt, you were at the game. This is the one game you've attended in person. Like, she rolls her ankle. Yeah, and that's the bad luck charm here. The one game he actually went to, she gets hurt. But, like, it, it didn't look terrible in the moment. She comes back into the game. She then plays, like, the next four or five games. And doesn't play a lot of minutes, but plays 12 to 15. And maybe that was the mistake is that she kept playing in those games and should have just sat her down. But she's now missed, like, four straight games. And it doesn't sound like, based upon what Kelly Graves is saying, that there's – a ton of optimism that she comes back like for Arizona. Maybe she comes back the following weekend against the Washington schools at home. But like it, it's, you know, if it's a sprained ankle, it's got to be one of the worst sprained ankles I've, you know, that you can Seen imagine well. because it's just keeping her out for a very long time. And, and uh, part of you wonders like, like, is, is, is this, should we be concerned more about this? And is, is this more than just a sprained ankle? Because I don't think anybody expected. And certainly the, the word was, I remember asking Kelly Graves after the Colorado game, he seemed to be pretty optimistic and encouraged about her long-term ability to play in these games. And the fact that she's not practicing and not able to play in games for over a gosh, five or six weeks now is certainly very disconcerting. So you know, they need, they, they could use her in these games, you know, and we talked about this when they played UCLA and Onionware when she gets everything at the rim and same thing with Haley Jones from Stanford of like, they, and even Cal, you know, and Oregon wins, by the way, we should, shouldn't barely lead. Oregon beats Cal by 60 points. They score a hundred Cal scores 41. Oregon had like a 41 to four run at one point in the middle of the game and just completely dominant. But even in that game, Cal scored some points in the paint and Prince is not like, you know, she's not a Chris Boucher, Jordan Bell, Kenny Wooten, athlete, shot blocker, rim protector. You know, she's not even like a Satu Sabali on the women's side, but she is six foot seven and she provides a lot of length to defend shots at the rim. And I think for as good as Niara Sabali has been, and she's been really, really good, um, they could use some more length and height up front, certainly on defense and offensively. The skill set she provides is, is something they just don't have, is that kind of point forward. And, and going into the season, there was talk about, hey, they're going to run the offense through her and she's going to almost be like a Nikola Jokic. And the fact that we really haven't seen her play and, and Oregon is again, and it's kind of, this is your Will Richardson equivalent really of like, this is a player everybody thought was going to be one of the best players in the team. She's not playing. And yet Oregon is still um, just with two losses and has played really well, even in the games they've lost. So I think with her, it doesn't seem like there's any clarity when she's going to come back, even at full strength. Kelly Graves, Kelly Graves did say that it will be at some point this season, expects her to play, but certainly not, I think kind of the um, outcome or the, prospectus you were hoping for when she rolled that ankle a, a while back against Colorado. Okay. So now Taylor Chavez did get back yep. um, into the mix. She played this weekend. She had a big game third or I should say Sunday against California, I believe, right? She had yep, 13 points, 13 points off the bench, two assists. Uh, she had a block. She had a steal. Um, she shot six of seven from the field. Can with her return, does that – it's not going to hurt Oregon, obviously, but do you view this as like, hey, now this is a big return for them. Like they're going to you – know, they are going to take a big jump once she gets back into the mix here a little bit. Or has Oregon been able to kind of figure out 
like she she is an important piece, but maybe they've they've found some other players that can help make up what she was doing, and so now it's just a depth addition. If that makes any kind of sense. No, I get what you're saying. No, I, I think it's it's it's. I think the thing that I'm noticing is that I feel like you've got three players that are very clearly needing to to play a lot of minutes and should lead the team in minutes, and that's Pal Pal, Sobley, and Bully. Those are those are quite clearly your three most valuable players. It's really hard for me to say from game to game who the next two players are. And on Sunday against Cal, Taylor Chavez is probably like your fourth most valuable player. But there have been games where Sidney Parrish has been that kind of player or a Jazz Shelley who's been starting or a Taylor Mikesell. And I think it's been interesting kind of seeing with Mikesell, it's, it's, it, you know, she's very inconsistent offensively. You know, you look at her stats and it's like, she's either scoring 25 points and hitting like six or eight threes, or she's kind of not all that involved in anything offensively. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to be overly critical of her defense, but she's not a fantastic defensive player. Taylor Chavez and Jazz Scheller are both better defensive players than Taylor Mike. So, so, I mean, this is one of those things where Oregon has a luxury here where they've got 11 players that can play in a rotation and they're all pretty darn good. And I'm not even talking about Maddie Shear, who's the best defensive player of the, of this group of you know guards. So, um, I think having Taylor Chavez back helps. I mean, they talked about her veteran. She is one of the more veteran players on this team, along with Aaron Bowley. She's probably played the most big minutes in her career. I mean, Lydia Giomi is a senior, but right. kind of always been somebody that's kind of been, hey, she's going to get maybe six to 10 minutes that, that matter a game, whereas Chavez has in the past been able to give you 20 or so. Um, I think it's pretty big that she's back and available. Um, and, and now they go into this weekend against Arizona against arguably the best guard in the conference in Ari McDonald. And I'm not going to be surprised in the least if we see Chavez draw that role quite a bit, um, you know, probably going to be a mix of quite a few different looks to try to slow down McDonald. Who's really the only player on Arizona's teams. That's probably going to just, that could dominate a game and flip a game for you. And if you can kind of minimize her, take her out of the game, the ducks have a really good chance of, of, of winning that game. And it would be a huge win considering the way they've played now in three games against top 10 teams. The Ducks have gone 0-2 in those games. They've been competitive. They can go into Tucson and pull off a victory there. That's going to be huge. And I think Taylor Chavez is more suited, better suited to play a game like that than maybe she is to play against other opponents, if that makes sense, just because she is kind of a lockdown defensive player. And I wonder what that does to this rotation. And again, this is a rotation that is completely in flux right now. Like You just don't know from game to game who it's going to be, and it's a great problem to have and I think at other times it's kind of potentially problematic because you just don't know and you can play a couple quarters and not really know who's going to be the hot hand or who meshes with the other players or who's best because of the opposition and I don't I don't necessarily think that's like cost Oregon these games but it certainly would be nice to to get to an eight to nine player rotation because they're still playing 10 or 11 every game big picture here the women like you said, they play Arizona on Thursday. That's going to be a big game. Arizona State Sunday, that's a game that uh, Sunday will seem to always play Oregon tough. They're a team that plays very physical. Um, that, game might, that game might not get played, too, we should say. Really? Yeah, this, well, the Sun Devils, are, they haven't played their last couple weekends with COVID, and um, it's unclear right now if that'll happen. So, But gotcha. that's... But the Arizona game is, is, is definitely going. If, and you're, but you are right about Arizona State. They always play Oregon tough. Last game Oregon had lost before losing to UCLA was, was to the Sun Devils down in Tempe last year. So if that game doesn't get played, what happens? Is it too, too early to even speculate about that? Like, could Oregon make up a game with a non-con game? Or, or do they 
push, you know, play somebody else? Like, what's what do we know about that? Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, this is speculative on my part. I'm just going to imagine they're just not going to they're not going to fill that game. I mean, I guess in theory they did have the Portland State game earlier this year postponed. Um, maybe they come back and try to play the, the you know the Vikings over the weekend instead. But my guess is they don't play it, and that they hope to be able to to travel down to Tempe at some point later. Um, again, this this COVID stuff really makes it hard to know exactly, and right. it's possible this game does get played and and. Um, and, and there's nothing to, you know, and, and everything goes on without a hitch, but there's also, I think the distinct possibility that it doesn't get played and, and COVID has hit the women's side pretty hard. I mean, Oregon state hasn't played a game in almost a month now. Um, you know, that Oregon and Oregon state obviously play identical schedules. Well, Oregon's played nine games in pack to play and Oregon state's played four. Um, you know, there it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, to, to look at this stuff and you just don't know who's going to be available from week to week. And, and you hope obviously these games do get played because Arizona state has always been a really good test for Oregon. I mean, they, they play a style, Matt, you're right. They play a style that's challenging and always challenges Oregon just because they are in your face. They play tough. They play aggressive. They did lose a lot of key players from last year's team, but they also before Oregon's seven point loss to Stanford, Stanford's other closest game was to Arizona state. I mean, Stanford beat Arizona by like 30 points and then turns around and only beats the Sun Devils by eight last week. So um, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if that game does get played. They were unable to play the Washington schools this past weekend. So, um, and, we, and really quick, I do want to note, like Washington State quietly, I mean, we talked about this after Oregon had a tough time beating the Cougars, quietly went in and beat Arizona in overtime this last past weekend and are actually ahead of Oregon in the standings. They've played three fewer games, but they're five and one. Um, that game, which, at, you know, Washington State was picked last the Pac-12 this year. I've kind of quietly become a legitimate, like not contender to win the conference because I just don't think they're going to quite be there yet. They haven't played any of the other top teams besides Oregon, Arizona. They haven't played UCLA. They haven't played Stanford, but have kind of quietly been kind of a, a dangerous team here. And so I just wanted to bring that up because that Oregon win over Washington State is the best win on the season so far and gets better by the day, especially if the, the Cougars can go out and win some games. Pac-12 standings, real quick, we'll end it here. Stanford is 7-0 in the conference, 10-0 overall, number one team in the country. Don't see that changing. Like you said, Washington State has proven to be a better team than expected. They are second in the conference at 5-1. And then uh, Oregon is third at 7-2. Arizona is fourth at 6-2. UCLA is fifth at 5-2. UCLA does hold a win over Oregon. So that is something to monitor if these two teams end up playing the same number of games in conference uh, that could loom large over Oregon. Likelihood that Oregon for a, what, fourth straight time repeats as Pac-12 regular season champions. Did it take a big hit this weekend? I think so. Um, Now, the good news is is there's a huge – there's a lot of games left on the schedule. Like this season is far from over. You know, they, they've, they've got a lot of opportunities to catch up to Stanford. But the other reality is, is Stanford has now played and beaten all the top contenders besides Washington State. And for Oregon to catch the Cardinal, they're going to have to beat the Cardinal on February 15th. And they're going to have to win out and hope Stanford loses one more game. Or if Stanford loses a couple more games, Oregon has a little bit more room for error. But right. at this point, it's really going to take 
Oregon almost being perfect down the stretch here. They're going to have to win out this weekend. They're going to have to beat the, sweep the Washington schools, which I said, like I said earlier, that Washington State game in on January 22nd could be huge. Um, you know, you look at the rest of the season, they do have games then at home against both Cal, sorry, both Arizona and Stanford, back-to-back weekends, February 7th, back February 15th, and then February 19th um, on the road in Los Angeles. So I think the season, like for Oregon here, if they can get on a roll, you know, a roll here, and let's say they win, let's say they sweep the Arizona schools, sweep the Washington schools, sweep the Mountain schools the next three weekends, the season will come down to this stretch here from February 7th through February 19th, where they play Arizona, Stanford, and UCLA within you know three games out of three out of four games against those schools. And if they can win all those games, and if somehow we look up and Oregon has two losses, I think there's a decent chance that Stanford slips up one time um, to somebody else. And that gives Oregon at least an opportunity. But it's gonna be awfully tough. And I think it's asking a lot for a team that relies on so many freshmen and young players for them to just not have a game where they kind of slack off or, or slip up or just don't play up to their potential. And my guess is that they finish top three in the conference, but I think it's going to be hard for Oregon to catch Stanford at this point. The Cardinal looked really good against Oregon, even though it was a close game. And again, I just don't know based upon what we've seen thus far, if Stanford's going to lose enough games to give Oregon enough wiggle room to get up there and to win a fourth straight conference championship. And like we said earlier on the men's side, you don't have to win the conference for this to be a successful season. I think that's the case for the women. Obviously, repeating for a fourth straight year would have been absolutely incredible given all that was lost. But they can still play really well down the stretch of Pac-12 play, finish top two or three in the conference, and get a top two or three seed in the NCAA tournament and go make some noise. And I think a lot of people would be really, really pleased with that given the fact that this is a season where really seven of your top eight or nine players – are newcomers. I mean, this is a very, very young team, a very new team. And if they're able to gel and, and put it together down the stretch and, and let's say lose just three to four conference games, considering how good the PAC 12 is and how many top 10 teams there are, I think everybody would be pretty pleased with that. Obviously they won't win the league, but um, that'd be quite the consolation prize, at least from where I'm sitting. Yeah. It does look like the conference is loaded. Um, I mean, if Oregon State can get in some games, it feels like for them it's just a matter of playing now enough games to qualify, but they should be a tournament team. You could argue that Arizona State, UCLA, Arizona, Oregon, Washington State, and Stanford have shown enough where you feel confident that they are tournament teams and it's just don't have a losing record, essentially, yep. to, get in, to get into the NCAA tournament. So the conference is loaded. Winning, you know, Finding marquee wins – to position yourself for a top seed isn't out of the realm of possibilities at all. I mean, it's, it's highly likely for Oregon. Like they may not win the conference, Eric, but you feel like a two seed or a three seed is very likely for this team. Yeah. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to win some of these games. They can't, if, if they can't go over against the other elites of the conference. Like if they right, went right, over, right. over six against Arizona, UCLA and Stanford, it's not happening, but if they can win, let's say they split with those teams, that would mean they'd have to go, um, Three and three and one down the stretch against them, which I yeah. think is possible. Or even if they go two and two and four, um, that should be enough to get you a really nice seat, especially with Washington State taking a step and um, just the fact that I think the, the conference is going to get six to seven teams in, and, and Oregon's going to have enough quality wins. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back on Tuesday uh, with some look at some football discussion, and then Wednesday is the mailbag. So make sure to. Submit your questions to Eric for the mailbag. If you have any, I'm sure you do. And then 
we'll wrap up the week with a Friday episode looking some more uh, at the big news of the week and Oregon football as well. We're also monitoring a coaching search. DC is the defensive coordinator job is open now for Oregon and uh, Mario Cristobal is going to make a hire. So we'll be tracking that throughout the week as well. You've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.